Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Happy Easter, Christ is risen. Christ is risen, and you may be seated. Oh, man, that was fantastic. Well, I want to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ by telling the story of Mary Magdalene, the Easter evangelist. John 19, verse 25. Standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. The Gospels are clear in telling us that Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. The rest of the apostles forsook Jesus, but the women were faithful. bit of clarification, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John the Beloved, is not to be confused with John, son of Zebedee, who's one of the twelve. The Beloved disciple seems to have been a young man who lived in Jerusalem and had family connections with the high priest. This young man was at the cross and Jesus entrusted his mother to him. But when all the apostles had either betrayed, denied, or forsaken Jesus, four faithful women kept vigil at Jesus' crucifixion and stood near his cross. The four women were his mother, his aunt, Mary Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And the woman who is mentioned the most in the New Testament, even more than the mother of Jesus, is Mary Magdalene, the most faithful of all Jesus' disciples and the woman who would become the Easter evangelist and apostle to the apostles. But let's not start with the Easter evangelist in Jerusalem. Let's start, well, let's back up and let's meet her in Galilee. Mary Magdalene. It's Mary of Magdala. That's what it is. Mary the Magdalenian. Mary of Magdala. Magdala was the largest and most prosperous town on the Sea of Galilee. And this woman is not Mary, the wife of so-and-so, as women were typically identified. She's Mary of Magdala, like Jesus of Nazareth, like Nathaniel of Cana, like Joseph of Arimathea. She's Mary of Magdala. What does that mean? It means she's not married. And she's not Mary, the daughter of. 
which is how typically women would be identified. She's not married the daughter of like, like Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. Now she's Mary of Magdala. She's significant in her own right. She's Mary, the important woman from the important city of Magdala. That's who she is. And she was wealthy. How did she come upon her wealth? Did she inherit it? Was she prosperous in business? We don't know. But she was wealthy. One of her close friends was Joanna of Cusa, the wife of Cusa. Joanna, the wife of Cusa. Well, who's, who's Cusa? Well, Cusa was the business manager for King Herod. That's the circles she moves in. Mary Magdalene is not some backwater provincial. She moves in very influential circles. And she may not have been young. Why do we think she's young? Because the artists always de depict her as young because the artists like painting young women. <laughs> she may not, probably was not young. She was old enough that she had become prosperous and a significant individual in her own right. And she was not a prostitute. Lord have mercy, we got a problem to correct here. Uh, it's a problem that was given to us by, well, by a dude that didn't know what he was talking about when he was preaching a sermon in 591. He happened to be the Pope. <laughs> Popes should know their Bibles better. But in 591, Pope Gregory I confused the unknown woman who was a sinner in Luke 7 with Mary Magdalene who makes her appearance in Luke chapter 8. And for whatever reason, this, this libel has stuck upon Mary Magdalene for all of these many centuries. No, she was not a prostitute. Just get that picture out of your mind and replace that picture with a wealthy influential, respectable, upper-class, probably middle-aged woman. But wealth and respectability are no guarantee of spiritual health, and Mary was a troubled soul. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. I suppose we can say there's truth that we all have our demons, but Mary had seven. Maybe her friends knew about her troubles, or maybe Mary kept them hidden, we don't know. Whether her problems though were public or private, we can be sure that she didn't have peace, not with her seven demons. I won't speculate on what the demons were, that's Another thing that Pope Gregory did, we don't need to do that. I won't speculate what her demons were. I'll just assume they were the same kinds of things people struggle with today. So Mary Magdalene, wealthy, influential, and deeply troubled. Mary heard of him before she met him. The healer from Nazareth was gaining great fame in Galilee. 
And the healer from Nazareth had moved to Capernaum. And Capernaum is just six miles from Magdala. One day, the traveling healer from Nazareth, now living in Capernaum, came to Magdala to preach in the synagogue there. And that's when Mary Magdalene first met Jesus. And that's when Jesus set her free from her demons. At the, uh, well, on the Sea of Galilee, at the site where they're doing all of this archaeological investigation of Magdala, it's all pretty recent, there is a, a ministry there that's wonderful, the, the Magdalena Institute. And it has a church and these gorgeous chapels, and in one of the chapels, there's a favorite mosaic of mine. I just love this mosaic, and this, is, this, depicts, this depicts Jesus and Mary Magdalene meeting for the first time. And then if you look closer, you see the demons are coming out of her. Uh, see, first it looks just like the branches of the tree, but those are the seven demons that uh, Jesus is driving out of Mary Magdalene. And from the moment that Jesus set Mary Magdalene free from her demons, she believed in Jesus. I mean, she, she believed in Jesus. She believed in, in him, in his power, in what he was doing, and in his message. She believed it so much that she was going to get behind it and support it. Mary, along with her friend, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, and a couple of other wealthy women became the patrons of the Jesus movement. The reason that Jesus, who had been a carpenter, and the disciples, who most of them had been fishermen, were able to devote full time to traveling around Galilee preaching the gospel is because they were financially supported by these women, which I still think they don't get enough credit for that. The whole original Jesus movement was financially made possible by these women. But there's even more to the story than that. They not only were the patrons financially supporting what Jesus and the disciples were doing, these women also traveled with Jesus as disciples. Now, first century Jewish rabbis did not have female disciples. But Jesus did. But Jesus did. And among these female disciples of Jesus, Mary Magdalene was the most prominent. And Mary Magdalene was the most faithful of any of Jesus' disciples, male or female. At the Last Supper, Jesus told the twelve, you will all become deserters. And that's exactly what they did. And they all left him and fled. But not Mary Magdalene. She was always there. She was always faithful. To the very end. She follows him through Galilee as Jesus is preaching. 
town to town, village to village. She's there. She follows him on his final journey to Jerusalem. She's there. She's there when Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. She's there. She's there all week as Jesus is teaching day by day in the temple. She's there. She's there when Jesus carries his cross to Golgotha. She's there when Jesus is crucified. When the nails were driven in his hands and feet. How horrible. She's there. The disciples have fled. The 12 apostles are nowhere to be found. Mary Magdalene is there. She stays there during the entire six hours that Jesus hangs upon the cross. She hears him say, it is finished. She's there when Jesus breathes his last. And still she doesn't leave. She stays by Jesus, even in death. She's there when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus come to take the body of Jesus down from the cross. Mary Magdalene goes with Joseph's, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus to Joseph's garden where there is a new tomb. She's there. She's there as the body of Jesus is prepared for burial. She's there when the body of Jesus is laid into the tomb. She's there when the stone is rolled in front of the tomb. She's there to the very end and only then does she leave. On the next day she observes the Sabbath in unfathomable sorrow. But Mary decides that she will make one more visit to the tomb. She'll go one more time to the tomb to add her own spices to the body of Jesus as a final act of devotion. On Sunday, the first day of the week, after the Sabbath, Mary Magdalene, while it's still dark, makes her way to the tomb. She's upset. She's very troubled. She's hoping the demons don't come back. She's wondering, she's worried, how am I going to move the stone? By the time she gets to the garden, it's just beginning to become light. And she's almost right to the tomb before she realizes, to her horror, the stone has been rolled back. Grave robbers. They can't even leave him in peace and death. They've stolen his body. So Mary Magdalene runs into the city. She runs to the upper city, to the house of John the Beloved, he has a home there. 
The mother of Jesus is staying there. Peter is staying there as well. And she tells Peter and John the beloved, they, they've taken away the body of the Lord. I, I don't know where they've laid him. So Peter and John, they run out of the house. They run all the way to the tomb and Mary's still there. She's with them. She runs with them. When they get to the garden, Peter actually goes into the tomb and investigates and what he finds is strange. The body's gone, but the grave clothes are right there. If someone's going to steal the body, do they, do they unwrap the body? And stranger yet, the cloth that had been on the face of Jesus is folded up neatly and just sitting there to the side by itself as if somebody had very carefully placed it there. Uh, they don't know what to make of this. They know the body's gone. That's what they know. And so Peter and John, they go back home, but Mary Magdalene, she stays there. She's always faithful. She just stays there. And by now she's, she's really crying. It's the worst. She can't even pay her final act of devotion. She can't even have one final goodbye. She's really crying. And then she, she looks into the tomb. And she sees where the body of Jesus had been lying Two angels, one at the head and one at the feet. Well, what she's seen is the mercy seat, whether she knows it or not. She's seen the mercy seat with the two cherubim. But that's... No, that's not much consolation. There's two angels that have come and maybe they're paying tribute to this great prophet who's been murdered and now his body's been stolen. They speak to her. They say, woman, why are you weeping? They've taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they've laid him. She, she turns around and she sees the gardener. That's a garden. Of course, there's a gardener. She sees the gardener and the gardener says, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She says, Sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll... I'll come take him. And the gardener says, Mary. Rabboni! Oh, Rabboni! And she falls at the feet of Jesus, now weeping for joy and clinging to him. And Jesus says, Mary, 
Stop clinging to me. I'm not yet ascended to my father. But go tell my brothers, go tell my friends, I am ascending to my father and your father. I am ascending to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples and announced, I have seen the Lord. This is Mary Magdalene, the Easter evangelist. She's the first person to see the risen Lord. She's the first person to preach the Easter gospel. She is the Easter evangelist. She is the apostle to the apostles. Believe the good news that was preached by that Easter evangelist. I have seen the Lord. Believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And because of that, everything is changed. Everything's changed. Jesus dies that he might descend into death. Why does Jesus die? Because he has to go down into death. Why? Because that's where we are. He comes to get us. He comes to save us. And here he is, descending into the realm of the dead, taking hold of Adam and Eve. Taking hold of humanity and pulling humanity up out of the grave. Jesus had to die that by death he might destroy death. And because of that, to quote another famous female preacher, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. That's Julian of Norwich. So I'm letting the women preach. I mean, as it were. Mary Magdalene and Julian of Norwich, amen. On that first Easter, the gardener called Mary by name. That's how, that's how she knew he was. Well, I want to say that he wasn't the gardener, but he is the gardener. He's the last Adam back in the garden to set right all that has gone wrong. But his name is Jesus. He's not Joe Gardner. He's Jesus. She doesn't recognize him as Jesus, thinking he's only the gardener until he says, Mary. And when Jesus called her by name, all of her fears were dispelled and all of her tears were dried. And Jesus knows your name too. And in your fear and in your doubt, in your suffering, in your pain, in your shame, Jesus knows your name and he calls you by name. He's doing it right now. Just listen, listen, listen. Listen with the ears of your heart. You don't hear but these ears with this ear. He's calling you by name. You're, you're stuck in your sorrow, your fear, your doubt, your blame, your shame, and Jesus is calling you by name. Just say yes. 
Just say yes. Yes, Jesus. Yes, I believe. Yes, Jesus. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. He's calling your name so that you'll call upon his name. And when you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. What Jesus did for Mary Magdalene 2,000 years ago, set her free from her demons and set her free from the fear of death. What Jesus did for Mary Magdalene 2,000 years ago, he'll do for you today. Call upon the name of the Lord and then come to his table and receive the gift of eternal life. Amen and amen. Stand up with me. Join with me first in confessing our faith in the Apostles' Creed with its Easter confession of resurrection, and then together we will confess our sins and receive the forgiveness, the forgiveness of the Lord. Confess with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now join with me in confessing our sins. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy so I can announce to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.